You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We are continuing our study of this great letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Rome. And uh, you remember... Uh, at the end of chapter 5, verse 20, that Paul made this um, incredible statement where he said, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And uh, that question was a little uh, opportunity for some of Paul's critics to capitalize once again and uh, uh, against the, the gospel message. And so they were raising a question uh, that, that uh, Paul notes here in our text in chapter 6. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been Baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the dead he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. A brief prayer. Father, please uh, help us in these moments to hear you and your word and what you would have to say to us today. And I pray that you would use me as your servant, as your instrument. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the interesting things about this passage, uh, verses 6 through 11, is what we're going to focus on. But one of the interesting things about this is this is the first uh, imperative or exhortation uh, in this letter of Romans. In other words, this is the first place where Paul actually tells us to do something. Uh, it's right here in verse 11 when he says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's quite fascinating. I mean, here we are, six chapters in Romans, and Paul finally tells us something to do. Now, you might say he finally gives us a practical application. 
And, and I noted last week, and I want to note again, that this pattern of Paul, I think, is, is very important, and it's instructive for us because uh, we live in a world of, of uh, activist and activism, uh, in a world that, that often rushes into action without thinking very much about the, the, the action that they're doing. We, we rush to application. Our world is consumed with quick fixes, with shortcuts. And, and that often spills over into Christianity, our faith. Here, here's the next little book that's going to change your life. Uh, here's the next shortcut. Here's the next uh, trend. Here's the next formula. Here's the next uh, program. Uh, and, and even perhaps in the pulpit, you know, preacher, can't you just hurry up and give, give us the application? I mean, just give us the short paragraph version uh, and then tell us what we're supposed to do. And maybe there's even a sentiment. Why couldn't we just start it right here in Romans 6? Or better yet, why couldn't we start in Romans chapter 12 where he's giving us the application? It's because Paul knew that there was, there was no rushing ahead to tell them how to live the Christian life until he had first instructed them on what God had done for them in Jesus. Until he had laid a solid foundation um, that, that the work of God in Christ Jesus is foundational to everything else in our faith. And so my concern is that the reason I think we have such shallow Christians today and, and shallow convictions today is because we have neglected to focus on these fundamental truths that shape lives. We've so dumbed down preaching and, and teaching and discipleship in the church that we've We've, in a sense, produced multiple generations of Christians who Paul would say in Ephesians 4 are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, who, who in other words, are not grounded and rooted in the Word of God. And it's why the first application and, and perhaps the key application for Christian living involves knowing. Consider yourself. That's what he tells us to do. Think about it. Know this. As Stott notes, that the secret of holy living for the Christian lies in the mind. It's when the Word of God penetrates our minds and begins to shape our understanding, and then it touches our wills and our affections, and it transforms how we live our lives. It's knowledge that's key to our growth. Paul says in verse 3, do you not know? Do you not know this? That, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. And this is the starting point of his truth. Verse 3, do you know? Verse 6, we know. Verse 8, we believe. Verse 9, we know. All the way to verse 11, consider yourselves. The word there, verse 11, is the word consider or count. And we've already seen variations of this word in in Romans, uh, in fact, chapter 4 has uh, a variation 11 times that it, it's used. It's a word that's used in, in the commercial dealings. Uh, so the word count, it's a bookkeeping or an accounting term. Uh, and, and, and that Greek word has shaped our English, several of our English words that we would use, such as the fact that we would keep a log or um, the word logistics 
or even the word logical. Uh, This is not a word of wishful thinking. It's not a word of, of, I hope these things are true, or I hope… This is a word of truth, and it speaks of the of the way that things really are. This is the truth. He says, consider this. Count this as true. And in this case, what we are counting to be true is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Count it, he says. This is bottom shelf foundational truth. The key to living the Christian life lies in first knowing, knowing that God has done something for us. He has taken us out of Adam and joined us to Jesus Christ. We are no longer subject to the reign of sin and death, but now we have been transferred to the kingdom of Christ and His reign of salvation and life. We've died to sin. We've been raised in newness of life, he says in verse 4. This truth is life-shaping, life-changing, foundational for the Christian life. Paul could have skipped over all of this. In fact, if you would make a mark at the end of chapter 5, about verse 11, and you stopped it there and you just pretended like nothing else from that point on all the way over to chapter 8, verse 1, where he says, therefore, there's now no con." It reads so smoothly. It would be like uh, you wouldn't miss any flow of his writing. But Paul wants us to go deeper into these truths because they provide such a strong foundation. What is coming so that when he says in chapter 8 a statement like this, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, we understand that this love is not some kind of emotional, flighty, uncertain kind of love, but that this is solidly rooted, built on the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are not Christians because of something that we feel. We are Christians because God has done something radical in our lives. We have died to sin, and we are now alive to God. That's radical. So, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says. How can we have died to sin still live? Do you, do you not know what has happened to you? Do you not understand this, the magnitude of this? It, it's so sound foundational. We shouldn't be surprised that Paul has more to say about it. Uh, and he does say more about it. That's what he's doing here in chapter 6. He introduced it to us in verses 1 through 5, but now he's going to say more about it in verses 6 through 11. He's going to explain it. It's the same theme. Uh, it, it's just expanded for us. And uh, I'm going to use his exhortation, his command in verse 11 as our main point today. That's what he tells us to do after all. First, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Dead to sin. Count it as true. Think about it. Paul says, this, this pause and let's put this under a microscope and let's look at this more closely. Here's the truth of what's happened to us as Christians. And this is something that you can count on, he says. Verse 6, we know... That our old self was crucified with Him. There was a time, again, we were in Adam. We belonged to the whole order of humanity. We were under the reign, the rule of sin and death. We were lost, blind, in darkness. 
In a practical sense, we might say things like, you know, the Bible meant nothing to us. We were, we, we, God's people, the church, seems strange, and what we've been doing seems weird. On, uh, there, there was a time when we didn't understand these things. We didn't understand why God's people want to get, get, get together and sing about these things and to study the Bible together and strive for holiness. Why would anyone do that? But then all of a sudden, we came to faith in Jesus Christ. We were born again. And it's like our eyes were opened up. We began to see. It's like a new world that was opened to us, opened up to us. We, we, our minds are suddenly interested in the things of God. All of a sudden, there were glorious truths that now begin to occupy our thoughts, our minds. New desires begin to emerge in our hearts. The very direction of our lives begin to shift away. And those who have experienced this, you may not express it like Paul does here, but what he says is true, that our old self was crucified with him. That's what he means. In Christ, that old man, that old self, that old life died. And there was all of a sudden, in a moment, that, that union with Adam ceased to be, and we were united with Christ, we were transferred into his kingdom, we experienced salvation and life. And there are two results of that, Paul says in verse 6. Two things happen. First, we were delivered from sin's power. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that... Here's the first thing, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That when you came to Christ, you were united with Him. Your old sinful self was rendered powerless. That's what He means, powerless. It was brought to nothing. It's been done away with. It, it no longer has a controlling influence in your life. Sinclair Ferguson expressed it this way in a beautiful way. He says, one of the glorious aspects of this is that your bodily existence, what you look at with your eyes, what you listen to with your ears, what you do with your hands, what makes your heart beat faster, where you go with your feet, your body. If I can put it this way, he writes, it becomes infertile soil for the reign of sin. We think about what Lloyd-Jones, we looked, talked about last week, that we've been transferred, remember the two fields with the road in between. We've been taken out of one field, the field of Adam, and put in the field of Christ. And this soil that we're now in, where our feet are planted, the soil of my heart and my life, has now all of a sudden become infertile soil for the reign of sin. In other words, sin doesn't grow there easily anymore. There's a change. Something has taken place deep in my heart, and it's transformed my life. I used to be addicted to myself and to my sin, to my personal pleasures, to my distaste for spiritual things. To my, I was antagonistic toward God, but the very soil of my life has changed, and it now produces the fruit of the Spirit. The soil of grace is far more difficult soil for sin to grow in now. That's why it's common testimony, perhaps hopefully yours if you're in Christ, that when you became a Christian, all of a sudden you became more conscious of sin in your life, not less. Uh, begin to weigh on you more because of Christ. Uh, before Christ, you weren't concerned about it, but now after, you can't help but be concerned about it. 
It's just in you. Something has changed in you. You have a distaste for sin now that you can't get rid of. There is a conviction of it. And it is because you are a new creation in Christ. What Paul is saying here is not some kind of a, a bloated theology that people in ivory tires sit around and talking about. This is fundamental Christianity. This is profound. This has practical importance to your Christian life. You have been delivered from the old order of things, the reign of Adam, put into a new order, the reign of Christ, and it has radically influenced how you live your life as an effect. That doesn't mean that we don't experience temptation or, or struggle anymore. Remember, we have not been delivered from the presence of sin. That will be in heaven. But we have been delivered from the power of it. That's the second thing. We've been delivered from sin's slavery. Verse 6, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's such a practical value to this truth. Remember that sin still calls from you from the old field. It can still allure you. It can still reach out its tentacles and try to, try to grab you. It can still whisper in your ear, I am still your master. And at times you may be persuaded about this, but the teaching of the gospel, what Paul is talking about here, is that the Christian has died to the dominion of sin in Christ. The gospel breaks the power of sin. It sets the prisoner free so that we're no longer enslaved to it. Brothers and sisters, this is the first thing that you, you, need, you need to know because unless you know this, there will be no hope in your heart that you'll be even be able to break the power of sin if this were not true. Paul says, know this. Consider this, even in your struggle with sin, count yourself dead to sin because of this truth, because of what's happened to you. Think about it. Verse 2, we died to sin, he says. Verses 3 and 4, we were baptized into his death, in fact, buried into his death. Verse 5, we've been uh, united with him in his death. Verse 6, we have been crucified with him, he says. And now, verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. All of these are factual statements that describe something that has already happened to you, Christian. You died to sin. And now Paul says, I want you to count it to be true. Now, Paul is not saying here, crucify the old man. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, what he is saying is that the old man has already been crucified in your life. It happened at the moment of your salvation. And he is saying, believe it, Christian. Believe this. Live this. He says. There are not two people in you. There's one that is telling, like one on one shoulder, and the other telling, one telling you bad things. One telling, no, no, this is not the old man fighting with the new person you are in Christ. The old man has died. That's what he says. Yes, sin can still allure me, it can still trouble me, it can still tempt me, but it can never reign over me again because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that glorious? 
You keep this truth before you, Paul says. Learn to think of yourself as you are. This is a fact. This is truth if you are in Christ. Consider yourself. Count yourself dead to sin because you are. You are. But then the other side is, uh, you've already filled in the blank, I'm sure. You're, You're smart people. Consider yourselves alive to God, he says. That was the other part of the application. Alive to God. And Paul has been saying this already too, right? Verse 5, he says, If we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verses 6 and 7, he's explaining the first part of that, united in death. But now in verses 8 through 10, he's saying, let me explain the second half of this. That we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection. I don't think Paul is talking there about a future resurrection that we have that's coming, and that is truth. God's Word teaches that, but I don't think that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about a present experience of resurrected life now. You died to sin, he's saying, but now you've been made alive. So we've been raised to walk in the newness of life. We must not only consider or count the fact that we've died, but we must count the fact that we've been raised. Notice what he says in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Yes, we continue to live in this world where we're surrounded by sin and sinners. And yes, there will be spiritual warfare. There will be battles in your life. There will be battles with your flesh. There will be battles with principalities and powers. Paul tells us there will be an ongoing battle in your life with the indwelling sin, uh, all of those things. But the good news of the gospel is that we've not only died to the reign of Adam, but we've been brought under a new reign, the dominion of Christ. We've been brought into a new life. There's a new order of things. There's a new soil. Those who are living in the time between the cross of Christ when He's delivered us from the power of sin and, and, and the coming of Christ when He will deliver us from the presence of, of, of sin, but He's saying that we can enjoy new life in Him now. Now, now He says, verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. How? Because we know this. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion. The union that we have with Christ is so certain. It's irreversible, he says. Sinclair Ferguson once more. I, as a Christian believer, can no more cease to live in the resurrection grace of Jesus Christ than Jesus Christ can be dragged down back into the tomb or placed upon the cross again. This freedom that we have from sin, the tyranny of sin, is radical and final. It can never have dominion over us again. Why? Verse 10, for the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Our union with Jesus Christ begins with a once for all death 
but it continues with an unending service to God. And so as long as I know that, I can freely offer myself to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, my master, my king, clean up my life. Clean up my thinking, clean up my language, clean up my relationships, clean up my actions. I'm, I'm in a different field now. I'm in grace. John Stott puts it eloquently. Once we grasp that our old life has ended with the score settled, the debt paid, and the law satisfied, we shall want to have nothing more to do with our sin. Verse 11, that's what Paul says, isn't it? You must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now just think for a moment all the glorious implications of being alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's several applications, and we've seen some of these. I'm just reminding you of what we've already seen. We have a new relationship with God. I mean, that's what Paul's been laboring to tell us in these early chapters of Romans. We were on a downward spiral of sin and wrath and judgment and death, but God has delivered us with, with opposing realities, right? With grace and obedience and righteousness and, and eternal life. At one time, we were God's enemies, but praise God, in Christ, we're now sons and daughters, right? We have a new relationship. We're new creatures, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. If, if we were to put it another way, we would simply say we've been born again. God's breathed new life into us. We're new creatures. Before this, again, we would say the Bible meant nothing to us, but now all of a sudden it's alive and we hear the voice of God in it. Before this, we had no interest in the church and the people of God. Christians were weird. We're kind of still weird, but they, they, we live with strange values compared to the world. Priorities were different. We looked upon them and said, those are strange people. But now in Christ, we love the church. We love the people with, of God. And we find our, our values changing and being shaped by God's Word and God's people. Before this, gathering with the church was such a chore. It was boring. We were, felt like, man, if I can ever get out of here. Uh, but, but now that we're alive to God, our gatherings are the best times of, of the week together when we get to do this. Before serving and witnessing, why would anybody want to give of yourself to do that. But now we're alive to God, serving Him, sharing Him as the chief delight of our lives. What's the difference? We're new creatures in Christ. Amen? Has that change happened in you? We have a new nature, Paul says. Before we were dead, died to sin we were, and made alive to God, we were slaves to our sinful nature. Now we've been set free from sin's power. Before, we were unable to do anything about it. Augustine, uh, many years ago, said it like this. Um, it, before Christ, he says, we were not able not to sin. But now we are able not to sin. 
We have a new nature. We can have victory over sin. In fact, we already have. The victory has started. You're in a different field. The old man, the old nature is gone. It's been crucified. Fourth, we have new goals. It's changed us so much. We're no longer living for ourselves. But as Paul says, the life we live, we live to God. It's a never-ending pursuit now of our lives. It's pursuing Jesus. You remember how Paul put this so memorably in Philippians 3. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a remarkable change in that what he's saying there that has happened in his life. He reminds us the world is no longer our home. We're no longer pursuing the things of this world. We're citizens of heaven, he would go on to say. We're no longer satisfied with the things of this world. We desire a better country, Hebrews tells us, a heavenly one. We're looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. To be alive to God means that you know that everything you see and have right now is passing away. Our houses will be gone. Our belongings will be gone. Our cars will be gone. Our money will be gone. But it's okay because He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Isn't that wonderful? These things no longer have a hold on you because we've died to them and, and, and we've been made alive to God who is infinitely greater than anything this world can offer. Paul says, consider yourselves. Count these things to be true. Know this as fact. We are dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. That is your position. That is your standing. That is the truth about you. If you are in Christ. How could anyone hear this gospel message and say, uh, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Lloyd-Jones is a good conclusion for us today. He says, when you realize these things, you begin to smile. You stand up. You shake yourself. You say, what a fool I've been for being so depressed for so many years. Why did I ever allow the devil to tyrannize over me? Why have I listened so much, the accuser of the brethren? You stand up on your feet and you begin to rejoice as you realize your position and what has happened to you. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God because we are dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. We are going to glory and nobody can stop us. Nothing can frustrate God's plan. We smile. We stand up. We live. 
And the question this morning, of course, is are you dead to sin and alive to God? Because that's when only these things are true. Is it true? Have I described something of what's happened to you? I know you would, might say, well, I, I, when I was a kid, I walked an aisle, or I got baptized, or I did this. But, but friend, beloved, has, has, are these things true of your life? Is there something in you that, that the soil, the very foundation of you has been changed by God? You're a new creature. If not... Would you not cry out to God today and say, make me a new creature in Christ? Would you not cry out to Him in faith, save me, save me, that I would know and be able to count myself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ? You have opportunity to do so right now. Will you do it? Lord, we thank you for your word. Pray that your spirit would speak to hearts and lives right now and apply these things, Lord, in your great wisdom and power. As we sing this final song of our service today, that it would be one of 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 humble and authentic response of how much we love you and how much we want to offer ourselves to you, our lives. So we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.